You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. In the context of the resignation of the Prime Minister, I spoke with Neil Curtis, professor in media and screen studies at the University of Auckland, about trolls, online hate, misogyny, the rise of extreme right ideologies, and its impact on the Prime Minister. Um, well, misogyny is, is sort of active hatred of women compared to just general discrimination, which you might call kind of sexism. But hate speech is one that, that is seeking to sort of actively violate people, belittle people, um, suggesting they have no right to exist, um, telling people they don't belong in a particular space, right? That's the kind, that's what hate speech is, something that's r radically undermining of an identity to the point that people want that identity erased or they want it relocated to another place. So it's something that attacks the essence of a person's identity, their sense of belonging, and their sense of any right to be who they are, right? Um, and it's really, really dangerous. Why I'm a big supporter of free speech, but I think there needs to be some kind of limit on it because what's happening with social media is that kind of hate speech becomes the new form of censorship, right? Where it's targeted at women, people of color, who then feel they can't go out and speak. Jacinda Ardern was the first New Zealand Prime Minister to give birth while in office and the second in the world. And the parliament under Jacinda is the most diverse in New Zealand history with the highest repre representation of women. Also Jacinda Ardern and other women in politics are increasingly targeted in hateful and violent alarming ways. Could you tell a bit, uh, who are those people that do this? What groups are behind this hateful speech? You've got a, a kind of a, a regular, more more mainstream group of people that dislike her and are just sort of everyday sexist. And you've also got some fairly mainstream women that have probably internalized a certain amount of, of, of misogyny. And these are the sort of people that just refer to her constantly as as Cindy, in order to try and undermine her and make her sound like a child. Um, and also sort of people that are critical of her perhaps not being married and taking a child into Parliament. And I mean, from day one, she was asked by Mark Richardson, or he was almost demanding that she disclosed her plans for having babies, which would never be asked to a, a male politician. Um, so there's that sort of group of kind of sort of general everyday sort of mainstream sexism. Um, but then there are other groups that are, are more closely aligned with perhaps alt-right groups in the US and perhaps have imported some of that, that language, that discourse, those methods um, of kind of online trolling and online attacks. Um, and those are incredibly toxic people and use social media very effectively. It's a continuum, right? There's not sort of one type of group and another type of group. It's a continuum. But those are the sort of, uh, the, those are the two ends of the spectrum from everyday regular sexism that we've known for a very long time. And this alt-right type framing of the, the, the discourse and the methods. Yeah, what do you think has been the effect or the impact of these hateful and violent opinions on Jacinda Ardern, her work, and as a prime minister, and also her resignation. 
Well, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to assess, right? I don't, I've never met the woman, I don't know her, I've got no access to what she thinks, but so we can only speculate. We know that there were misogynist-based criticisms and attacks on her. We know that for a fact. I mean, you know, other women like uh, um, Golritz, uh, Garaman, she's, she's also talked about it constantly. Of course, she gets a double dose for being a woman of colour as well, right? You have to assume that if you're in that kind of environment, you're un under incredible pressure, particularly the stuff she's had to deal with. I mean, I can't remember John Key having to deal with anything like this. You have to assume that the constant attacks on her are um, do affect her, do affect her ability to, to do her work and to potentially lead, but also just the way in which um, her messaging is undermined about that. Not only have you got to do all the hard work, but you, that you've then got an uphill struggle to explain what's happening to a media that in New Zealand is largely predominantly hostile to um, a Labour government, right? Um, so you mix in the misogyny, you mix in the vitriol and the hate that really emerged with the anti-mandate uh, protests. Of course, that was all kind of the US-imported alt-right kind of conspiracy theories, racism, all sorts, sorts of craziness. Um, you add that to the mix, and that must be incredibly draining, right? It's like sort of walking on on sand. So not, not, not only do you have this incredibly difficult job to do, but you've got a media that's sort of pretty much opposed to you on a day-to-day -day level. I think media sort of came together around COVID early stages to some extent, but largely they were opposed to her. And then you've got this online environment, which is just actually designed to um, propagate hate outrage, scandal, trolling, you know, all because that is the sort of stuff that gets um, attention, that gets the clicks and therefore gets uh, the profits, you know. True, yeah. And why do you think these far-right-wing ideologies are on the rise? Why are there more and more people identifying with these ideologies? Well, as, as the title of my book suggests, right, we live in, we're living in quite precarious times. Um, aside from worries about the physical environment, right, the, uh, about ecology, I think over the last sort of 30 years, 40 years, there's been significant gains made by uh, women in terms of equality. There's been gains made by people of colour. There's been gains made by the LGBTQ communities. You know, and and I think... That so the dominance of the white Christian male has been slowly undermined, and, and and I think over the last sort of twenty years in particular, that's starting to filter through in our our culture. Right, we're seeing more people of colour, more women, more gay people within film, within TV, writing novels, and so on. And I, and I think that produces incredible sense of precarity amongst amongst people because particularly sort of white older white men in particular but white women as well white culture generally that they're slipping from that position of dominance that they're 
identity is being increasingly challenged, and that causes a great deal of anxiety. I think what tends to happen in that situation is when people come forward, like demagogues, like Donald Trump, people like Boris Johnson, who use nationalism, racism, xenophobia as as a form of politics, it becomes very attractive to people who are feeling precarious, right? But it's that sort of that the general sense of precarity, right? So men feel threatened by women, so they start to identify with dreadful people like Andrew Tate, right? Who reaffirm the supposed entitlements of men, right? That women are basically sort of possessions of men. So this kind of politics has been resurgent because it speaks to and provides uh, a kind of solution to people's sense of fragility, precarity and weaknesses. That was Neil Curtis, professor in media and screen studies at the University of Auckland. That was a 95BFM podcast. To hear more, head to 95BFM.com slash bcasts.